This is Rafael Otto bringing you the Early Link podcast. Today I'm speaking with Miriam Calderon, the Early Learning System Director of the Early Learning Division in the Oregon Department of Education. Before returning to Oregon in 2017 to lead the division, she helped build a birth to three system and universal preschool for the District of Columbia. She was also a senior fellow with the BUILD initiative, leading work pertaining to dual language learners, and served as a political appointee in the Obama administration. Miriam, welcome. Hi, Rafael. Thanks for having me. Great uh, great to have you here today. Your career started working for Head Start in Portland. Where'd you work? Yes, I worked actually in Albina Head Starts as a mental health consultant. Um, I worked actually in community mental health, and um, so I like to say I entered the early childhood world sort of through the mental health door. Wonderful. And so you're familiar with Ron Herndon and his work? Absolutely. I'm a big fan and really enjoyed the podcast last month with Ron. It's uh, really th- powerful. Thank you for thank you for listening. Uh, as you're leading the early learning division now, Describe how you conceptualize early childhood and early learning for the state of Oregon, uh, and what what are you seeing as the challenges and bright spots? Absolutely. Well, the first 2,000 days of a child's life are when their brain is most rapid, their brain development, and their learning is really happening in every instance and every waking and sleeping moment of their lives. And how this development and learning occurs, we know, is influenced by a child's environment, their experiences, and their relationships. And when I think about our system, it needs to be about ensuring that all of that their environments, their experiences, and their relationships are, are quality, and especially for those children who are struggling the most economically. When I think about Oregon, I'm just so impressed with the amazing foundation that um, we've laid for this work over the last several years with early learning hubs, with a quality rating and improvement system, Spark, through greater investments in Oregon pre-K and preschool promise. Um, We have a lot to build on to ensure that all of the uh, adults in children's lives get the support that they need in providing these um, high-quality experiences, environments for children. In terms of the challenges, I think they're, you know, Oregon isn't different than many other places in our country. Our system is too fragmented. Um, it's siloed and into a complex set of state and federal programs and policies from various eras. Um, we lack the kind of funding that allows us to serve all the children and families um, that we want. Really, in short, it's a system that doesn't work well enough together to create equitable opportunities for children. And that's really what we know the power of early childhood can deliver, is equity and put all children on a trajectory for success. So I'm excited about the fact that uh, we've got a governor who is committed to early childhood and wants to build on all that we've done in these last several years and who has this as a priority. And so that's really what wanted, you know, made me come back here is I think the incredible foundation that we've built in Oregon, the knowledge that we've got, a really committed governor, so much support in the legislature, terrific partners, just really, I think, a lot of the ingredients that will allow us to do big changes for children and families in our state. Well, it's great to have you back. I want to hear more about your vision for early childhood in Oregon and uh, how a commitment and your commitment to equity plays a role in that. Sure. Well, I think my vision um, for the system is is one that I um, hear articulated a lot by um, our leaders and our partners in Oregon. We need to ensure that children and their 
school ready to succeed. Uh, we need to support families and caregivers, and we need to ensure that our, our systems are more aligned, coordinated, and family-centered. So I like to think that we need a system that guarantees early learning opportunities um, for all children, but especially those children furthest from opportunity, and that we build systems that can meet the comprehensive needs of, of, of families. Equity needs to be a central outcome in our system. As it stands right now, we know race and income are a primary factor in determining whether you get access to early learning. Some of our public, publicly funded programs address this for a set of families, but we need to go farther and we need to start younger. We know that um, whether if there isn't a robust uh, supply of public funding in early learning, children won't participate when parents can't afford it. And that's something that we need to change. Uh, the data uh, that we have now about how our children are doing at kindergarten entry and third grade, I think really bear out what our equity challenges are. So the same children that we know are not on track in third grade, we know are not on track at the start of kindergarten. And I think this underscores the importance of access to quality care and early learning in the first years of a child's life. We just have to start earlier. In order for the system, this developing system, to get the results and outcomes uh, that you would like, that you see in your vision, obviously we're going to have to look at funding, but what else do we have to do to make that happen? And and what does Oregon need to do to go about building a system like that? Mm-hmm. Well, we need a – we really need a cross-sector strategy. So to – address opportunity gaps for children and families in our state. We need all of our sectors working together, early learning, health, family support, K-12 leaders. We need everybody on board. Uh, The Early Learning Council, which is really this cross-sector table in our state that brings representatives and stakeholders and leaders from all of these different sectors together, is working on a five-year strategic plan to build out this vision further. Um, and this work is being supported by a governor, governor's children's cabinet, which all brings together the leadership as well from all of these different sectors. This plan Uh, needs to include outcomes for our systems and specific strategies that can help us get there. So we know that cross-sector collaboration can be impactful, right? So what does this look like in a concrete way? It means ensuring that pediatricians use their knowledge um, and their relationships with children and families and help link families to needed services like parenting education supports or housing assistance during well-child visits. It means that Leaders in our schools and in our school districts and community-based childcare can um, collaborate more and ensure smoother transitions for children and families so that children aren't just ready for kindergarten, but that um, schools are ready for families and for young children. And again, it means really focusing and being very intentional about investing more in our youngest children and families, particularly in the areas of high-quality child care and preschool. If we are going to advance our goals of equitable opportunity, we've got to start earlier. I think we need to start by a real focus on the 114,000 children in low-income families who we know need all of these services to work better and be needed better together, and they need more access to preschool and childcare. What would the impact be for young children and families and for 
for the K-12 system or even for the business sector? How would you describe that? The impact um, on all of these groups would be enormous. When young children have the enriching environments that they deserve, early learning, access, beginning, and birth, we know that they would enter kindergarten um, developmentally on track with the capacities and skills to be successful. We know that parents would have the option of being able to return to the workforce um, when they have the peace of mind and knowledge that their children are in in, re- in these enriching environments and getting access to quality care and education. Um, we know that this Im- impacts their productivity, um, and we know that that is important for the business community as they're looking at areas to increase their capacity to expand their businesses. We know that they look for communities that have great schools, that have great child care and great preschool to be able to support their workforce. We know from experience and research that K-12 will see reductions in referrals to special education, and we will see that there are less um, academic and social differences among children when they start kindergarten. We know that graduation rates would improve. The business community would see a workforce down the line that is more prepared for the jobs that they have on day one. If we think about the needs of dual language learners in our in our system, in our early learning system, in our K-12 system, what can the state do to make a difference for those learners? And what are some of the forward-thinking approaches you would like to see supported there? Absolutely. This is uh, an issue very close to my heart. I was a dual language learner. I didn't speak a word of English until I started kindergarten. And so I would say that first, I, I think we need to have a paradigm shift and we need to see the home language as an asset, not as a risk factor. We know from the research we need to start supporting dual language learners uh, well before kindergarten. And we know that we won't be successful in meeting the needs of dual language learners if we aren't incredibly serious about the way we work with families and how we partner with families um, so that children don't have to lose their home language in the process of learning English. Some of the newest research is telling us we need to be a lot more intentional about English language development earlier. So again, if we've got a strategy that says we're going to wait to kindergarten to be able to reach these children and families, then we're not going to be successful. I'd like to see us start with providing more dual language preschool. Um, Learning two two languages has incredible linguistic, social, and cognitive advantages for our children. And one of the things that I really love about dual language preschool uh, continuing into the K-12 sector is that it really brings the opportunity for both native English speakers and native speakers of other languages to sort of be on the same playing field, right? So it creates an environment where both languages are seen as assets and not being able to speak English isn't seen as a deficit. I think we're seeing tremendous interest in native English-speaking families and wanting their children to be bilingual. Absolutely. So, and so Absolutely. I think this that could be a, really a win-win for so many families in our state if we could grow these programs. Thank you for that. I, uh, I wanted to also ask you about the children uh, who have died tragically in childcare settings in the past year here in Oregon. Uh, what is the Early Learning Division and the state doing to stop these tragedies and support parents and families? Well, I want to start by saying that as a mom, my heart breaks for these families. No parent leaves their child in an arrangement that they don't believe is a safe and nurturing environment. I know I struggled myself to always find the best child care for my child, for my two children, thinking about 
multiple needs, affordability, convenience, geography, location. So this is personal, as I think it is for any parent who accesses these systems. And so I think our approach has to be asking ourselves really every day, what can we do to continue to improve and do better? And that's really where we've been focused. How do we learn from these tragedies, um, continue to improve our practice, and stay very focused on implementing a number of reforms that have been well underway? Uh, so for example, um, we know that at least one of these tragedies was in a facility that was providing illegal child care. Uh, we've got an enforcement bill in the 2018 uh, legislative session, enforcement bill that we're supporting, that would uh, provide the Office of Child Care the ability to issue cease and desist orders on illegal on individuals providing illegal legal care facilities and also levy greater civil penalties against illegal operators for those in violation of our standards. Uh, this same um, enforcement bill will allow us to escalate our monitoring when facilities exhibit disturbing trends. We're also working with the legislature to on a request for a reduction in our caseloads. So right now, currently, we have a ratio of one licensing specialist for 150 uh, child care facilities. Uh, we've got to be able to have a greater presence on site at facilities um, when we know that they are not violating or, you know, violating our regulations or struggling. Um, we've got to be able to provide them the kind of feedback and have that kind of presence that, you know, supports these providers and getting back on track. Or we've got to be in a position of knowing, you know, firsthand in a much more timely fashion that there are serious safety issues here and we've got to be able to take very swift action. So the I can't underscore enough about how important it is for us to have the ability to have a greater presence on site uh, at these centers. We're also working to improve our ability to investigate reports of serious injuries in childcare, um, allegations of child abuse and, and neglect. Um, so as a part of our uh, request to the legislature, we're asking for the ability to be able to do joint investigations with the Department of Human Services. So right now, when there is um, an investigation in a childcare facility, the Department of Human Services, Child Protective Services is the lead, and we use the evidence and the conclusions of those investigations to take action on our end on the license. And what we've learned through looking at these issues and in a collaboration with DHS is that um, we need to be able to uh, work alongside DHS and have more timely access to information we need to, when there are instances of, you know, uh, serious harm to a child in a facility, um, we need to be able to to build strong cases and have the uh, evidence and information that we need to be able to take swift action. Um, so that's, a, I think, an important part and reform that we're looking forward to implementing this year um, if we can, if we're successful with the legislature and getting um, the resources that we need. We also need to do a better job of, of partnering with families. They're in these programs every day. They have the strong relationships with the providers. Um, so we need to be able to give families more tools and help them understand quality childcare, 
be clear on, you know, what our uh, regulations are, what to look for around safety, know what to do when they've got a concern and be able to contact us. So in the example of illegal care, you know, we have requirements that say licenses should be posted. So families should be able to see that and uh, know that they can ask for it, right, if they don't see it, and know what number to call when they have a question about it. I'm excited uh, and looking forward to, at the end of March, we're launching a new web portal for for parents. Um, This is going to allow parents to find more easy information, more easily access information about um, safety in childcare facilities. Uh, right now, this is information that you would have to call our hotline for. Um, and we know that a number of our families and a lot of parents today don't call hotlines Monday through Friday. Uh, they want it on the internet. Business areas, they want it on the <laughs> internet. And so that's what we need to be able to do. And uh, we've got a plan to do that um, at the end of the March. And I think that's going to make a huge difference. But we know we've got to continue to do more. We, I'm excited that we've got some opportunities for feedback sessions from parents, both around our strategic plan for our system. We also are building our child care, our child care plan for our state, for our federal resources for child care. So these are giving us some opportunities to connect with parents and ask them more questions. Um, we'll be doing some usability testing on our website with parents. And so it's just, I can't say enough how important it is that we're getting that direct feedback from families about what um, supports they need and how they need us to support them. We, uh, have to focus on these important reforms in licensing. It's really the foundation of our system in the way we work with families and our website. Ultimately, though, what is going to make our our child care system safer and support our goals around kindergarten readiness is ensuring quality and ensuring that there are more resources to support quality. What troubles me is that Right now, the families are the primary funder of early learning in the state of Oregon. Over 70% of all of the money going into childcare in our state comes straight out of the pockets of families. And we know that parents can't afford to pay any more than what they pay. Um, We know that some families can't afford to pay very much, and so their children go without. And we know that what parents can afford to pay isn't enough to cover the cost of what it truly takes to provide um, quality care. And you think that's the space where we need to focus on a public investment. How does a public investment help families access quality care for what they're able to contribute and afford? You mentioned in the enforcement bill, it sounds like uh, there are a lot of things in place for improving safety in, in, in child care settings. Does that also address unlicensed facilities? It does. So the uh, there are a number of uh, components there. One is cease and desist orders. So right now we have we don't have strong enough deterrence for providing illegal care. And so what that means is that, you know, if we're informed and we receive a complaint about illegal care, uh, we first take the approach of helping support that provider in getting licensed. And I think that that's the right approach. And if we continue to see and we follow up that the provider isn't moving towards a license, we uh, can issue a $100 fine, civil penalty. So wow. hardly a deterrent. Right. Um, so in this, le- in this uh, legislation, we are uh, seeking the ability to be able to increase the civil penalties. So 
we could, you know, see a fine of a thousand dollars, right? If we've provided the information and and encouraged that particular provider to become licensed. What we need to do is, if we see that they're not taking those steps, is uh, be able to have a stronger deterrent through um, an increased penalty. We're also, as I mentioned, cease and desist orders are important because if the fines are not a deterrent, we need to be able to take more forceful action. And um, right now that what we are able to do is a is a court injunction, which requires multiple actions on our part and sure. citations for providing illegal care. And so cease and desist orders uh, will allow us to bring in the courts in a sort of a much more expedited process than we, if we had to go the route of an injunction. If we look ahead at a more comprehensive early childhood system, what will that mean for the state's workforce capacity? And what does Oregon's early childhood workforce look like now in comparison? When we talk about high quality early learning, we're primarily really referring to the capabilities of the adults responsible for the development and learning of, of, of children in their care. So a more ro- robust quality early learning system really relies on those who are caring for our children to have the supports that they need. And I think when we think about caregivers and this workforce, we we need to think expansively and remember that parents are the primary caregivers. Um, We need to think about our teachers. We need to think about family, friends, and neighbors um, who are also uh, responsible for providing care to children in our state. We know that we have more than 22,000 people in our workforce, and we know that a quarter of our workforce are people of color, and we know that troubling many of our educators in early learning, our birth to five teachers, leave this work within one or two years. So if we, we won't have the quality that we need for children and we won't have the safety um, if we can't really increase our capacities to support all of these caregivers. We won't have quality if we don't have a paradigm shift and we don't begin to show this workforce respect and treat this work as a profession. And I think when we can do those things, we'll be able to bring some stability to this workforce and we'll be able to better meet the needs of children and families. Part of that is that the the early childhood workforce is typically underpaid, uh, chronically underpaid, and often lacks the opportunity to have comprehensive training, how would you improve training and compensation? So we've talked a lot about how fractured, and or I've talked a lot about how fractured and underfunded our current approach to early learning is. And this, is ha- this has a tremendous impact on our workforce in childcare and preschool programs. First, our workforce was paid on average less than $11 an hour in 2015. Our teachers are isolated. They don't have the opportunities to collaborate and learn from other professionals, nor are they afforded things like planning time within their normal workday. We have started the necessary work to address this in our state, and I think we've found some really effective ways to do this in the past few years through increased investments in training and technical assistance for these providers and caregivers. Uh, But if we don't do more, we're never going to have the quality that we need. An area that the early childhood field continues to engage us on, in ongoing debate is what role bachelor's degrees um, and post-secondary education plays in, and what's and is it an appropriate standard for early childhood educators. And I think a big part of that debate comes from some real concern and some real evidence that degree requirements will decrease 
this racial diversity in our field, which is a tremendous asset and concerns about the current capacity of higher education to meet the needs of our workforce. And I think that these are very real concerns. I'd like to see us focus in Oregon on encouraging degree attainment. We need to make it accessible, though, attainable and meaningful. Encouraging is, you know, I think the emphasis on what, I want to put the emphasis on the word encourage. So I want that degree to be possible for an early childhood educator who wants that as her pathway. And that's where I think we need to focus because as I'm looking at our system here, I know we've got a long way to go in terms of building that capacity. Uh, We're losing early childhood programs in community colleges and uh, universities across our state. We know that they... Higher ed is going to need to not only we don't we don't we not only need to stabilize these programs in higher ed, but we need to provide the kinds of resources so that uh, they can meet the needs of our current workforce, which is a non-traditional workforce. And so we have to be looking at that those issues very, very carefully. At the same time, we need to be thinking about our professionals currently in the field who may not choose higher ed as a path for themselves. That might not be their pathway. And really, whether or not you're in a degree program or you're continuing to work in the field, how do we provide you the kind of job embedded training and technical assistance so that whether you're going the higher ed path or a different pathway, you know, in service while you're working, you're getting the kind of supports that will translate into better teaching practices. Because um, when we can support these caregivers and these educators, we will see better outcomes for children. What are the workforce challenges in parts of rural Oregon where uh, we're seeing the demand is high and the supply is low? In some ways, many of the challenges for our workforce in rural parts of our state are the same as the system as a whole. But they're exacerbated by distance and infrastructure in communities. So I think we need to learn more about what these unique challenges are in accessing professional learning for our workforce in rural communities. And we need to focus on bright spots and areas where where we've had some success. When I think about the fact that we've built what we've built in the past several years in terms of an infrastructure to support our workforce What we've built in these past several years has really been a regional strategy, and I think that sets us up to really be able to address uh, the unique needs of rural communities in, in an early childhood workforce. So by having hubs that are focused in rural communities as well as a child care resource and referral uh, system, which is, you know, providing that kind of job embedded um, training and technical assistance. By having those be regional strategies, I think we're we're setting up communities and creating um, the kinds of opportunities for providers and those that are supporting providers to engage with higher ed um, and other early learning partners and to think about more local, more localized solutions. And uh, I think that that's incredibly important if we're gonna and if we're gonna ensure that we have a supply of high quality care and a high quality workforce in rural communities is to have that kind of ability to seek local solutions and local input and not pretend that 
we can make these solutions from Salem or, right. you know, um, right. think about a workforce system that can meet the incredible diverse needs in our state, right? So that's one of the things that makes me the most excited about uh, the system that we've started to build in Oregon is that we've got these regional strategies and regional really infrastructure through hubs and CCRNRs to give us that kind of feedback and allow us to work in partnership. 2018 session is underway. 2019, uh, people are already preparing for that. Uh, what can we look for this year and next uh, in terms of legislation or legislative activity? Well, for 2018, we're really focused on the licensing program. It's the uh, foundation for our system. So we're looking at the enforcement bill that we've talked about, working with the legislature on more resources for our licensing program to be able to lower caseloads and do joint investigations. And we're also working uh, with the legislature on uh, resources for lead testing for our child care providers who are license exempt. So for us, I think we've got to reinforce this foundation in in licensing and then take the rest of the time in 2018 to focus on a bold new investment in the workforce and greater access to high quality child care and preschool for more families in our state. And we're going to work with our early learning council and the children's cabinet and our hubs and community partners and putting that plan together for the rest of 2018 and preparing for 2019. I also want to mention that there are a number of other important proposals that we support that are in front of the legislature right now for the short session. And these are really uh, critical and important bills for building our system. One is the equity fund and legislation focused on transition of special education services between early childhood, special ed, and K-12. We also know that our partners are recommending that cuts to early learning um, that happened in 2017 be restored. And we support restoring these, including cuts to our professional development supports, like our focused child care networks, which are an important approach to bringing our workforce together to engage in a professional learning community and to hubs which provide important coordination between early childhood programs and help increase access to early care and education and target resources for our communities. So I'm hopeful for my first session in 2018 in this right. position and I'm really encouraged, I think, by the support that I see for early childhood by fellow agency leaders in other state agencies, with our council, with the legislature, with the governor, and with our advocates. Sounds great, Miriam. Thank you for coming to the CI offices today. It was great speaking with you. Likewise, thanks. This is the Early Link Podcast brought to you by Children's Institute, working to ensure a strong beginning for Oregon's children. Listen to segments on our website at childimst.org and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. 